0: The only good Indian is a dead Indian. Welcome to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. I'm Ronda, your host here for the next hour. Today we're going to have a special guest on, and that is Mr. Joseph Quintana. He's going to be talking about the magazine, Red Ink Magazine. It's a Native American student publication, and they're in the middle of a transition right now. We've been talking about the history and and the future of the magazine. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Uh I'll be playing a song and get him on the, get him on the phone here in just a few minutes. Alright, we'll get started with some music. And we got some young spirit. You're listening to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. <laughs>
1: Find
2: another man that can go way away, That's how I know you'll come calling back to me again. back to me again.
0: that was young spirit for you guys uh, with a nice round dance song and hopefully a Joseph there?
3: I am here all right
0: awesome we got you on all right so we have our our guest um, with us via phone and this is mr. Joseph Quintana and why don't you just introduce yourself
3: Uh, my name is Joseph Quintana I'm from San Domingo Pueblo Uh, I'm the current advising editor for Red Ink Magazine, um, and then I also work uh, for my tribal enterprise as well.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, not many people may know about Red Ink Magazine, um, but you want to explain a little bit about it?
3: Sure. Sure uh red ink uh actually started off in uh, 1989 uh with two graduate graduate students of the University of Arizona who wanted to uh create awareness and a place for dialogue about uh native issues um it's an originally it's it's an offshoot of uh uh another publication which was Shah, which uh in uh if it's translated it's translated into red pencil uh and the the students at the time just changed it to red ink uh, it's primarily it was primarily run by students, graduate students of the time. Uh, over the years, it's featured uh, such um, uh, professors as Vine Deloria Jr. and Scott Momaday, uh, Simon Ortiz, Leslie Marmon Soko, uh, writers such as Joy Harjo. We've also had uh, native uh, photographers, painters, artists of uh, different mediums. Um, and so over the years it's kind of grown, uh, from 1989 from its inception, and then now we're celebrating its 25th year anniversary uh, with our latest issue, which is going to be coming out and premiering uh, May 7th uh, on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. Um, and it's something we'd really like to uh, invite others to attend if they're able. We're going to have some writers and poets and musicians come out and celebrate with us. Um, and basically, acknowledge the people who've contributed to the publication over the last 25 years. This will be our 25th year anniversary, um, so it gives us a chance to give back. Uh, over the years, we've also uh, gotten—we've been fortunate to be able to go and speak to a lot of different um, Native communities, and a lot of them have been big supporters of the publication. And some of them house our magazine within their uh, education departments. Um, uh, we've been fortunate to go out and speak to Tohono O'odham uh, down in southern Arizona along with the Pasquayaki tribe. Um, we've been up to the Navajo Nation along with Hopi, uh Hopi tribe as well. Um, so one of our uh, big things we like to do is really get out and meet with the people, get a chance to create dialogue and communicate with what's actually going on with the needs of the people, whether it be uh, reservation life or Natives who are in uh, urban societies, wherever else it is. Um, and that's what pretty much Red Ink is about, is being able to amplify the Native voice and to create discussions and dialogue. No matter what, if we agree with it or not, if I think that um, in the long run, discussion can create uh, better answers to the problems that surface for uh, each one of our nations. So that's a little bit about the publication. Um, it also features not only uh, people with academic backgrounds, such as uh, uh, people who have gone on to higher education or anything like that, but it also features up-and-coming artists or writers, uh, youth, and uh, along with uh, community members and elders, and puts them all on the same playing field so nobody's, uh, nobody's conversation or perspective is left out.
0: Awesome. All right. If you're just joining us, uh, we're talking with Joseph Quintana, and he is with Red Ink Magazine. And we're just discussing, um, you know, the the history of it and then also the future of of your magazine. Um, And you can find them on Facebook at Uh, Red Ink Magazine, you just uh, search them and see what they're doing and also get updates on your uh, celebration that's going to be going on on May 7th. So you have 25 years of this publication. And for any publication now, any print medium, it really is a transition because uh, with the Internet... (laughs) You know, we have to find a way to move in that direction. And so um, how has that been for you guys?
3: I think for us it's been it's been a learning curve just as anybody else, um, especially in trying to reach, like we say, our target audience has always been uh, natives on the res or people within uh, urban uh, communities first before it gets out to the academics or anybody else. And being able to translate it in terms that, They would understand or mediums that they would pick up on quickly. Um, and you could, you could probably see it nowadays with the access of cellular phones or internet service even on the reservations themselves. Um, as that's grown, the dialogue has picked up to include their discussion as well, which has been our hope all along. And not just to only cater to academics, um, or people within the cities who, you know, primarily have access, uh, to the internet. Um, but it's been a growing process for us as well, just as anybody else. Um, you know, a lot of people are starting to move away from print media um, only because it's become costly and it's, it's more advantageous to go towards uh, other forms of media such as online. Um, but our readership doesn't necessarily translate well to that because a lot of the publications are stored within, um, like I was mentioning before, a lot of tribal, a lot of tribal offices. Education centers, libraries, um, all the way into major academic uh, institutions such as uh, Harvard University, Dartmouth, Stanford University. Uh, I know there are several uh, public, uh, several of the publications at Haskell Indian Nations University, um, and just different places all around the country. Um, but I think that uh, as Native people, we have to. Uh, take a look and see what's viable, what are good, viable resources for us as far as being able to create that dialogue, especially within the media, because oftentimes, as you know, Rhonda, yourself, that um, we oftentimes go either unrepresented or our ideas or our opinions are misrepresented or people uh, appropriate what we think because they feel that they're the expert on it. Um, but it's good to hear firsthand what people are thinking and to hear that people aren't always going to agree. I mean, we have over uh, almost fi- uh, 550 or 600 tribes that are recognized and many others that are unrecognized tribes. And so our opinions, based upon either our cultural beliefs, our history, um, or even our region, they're all going to be shaped very differently from one another Um But it's good to understand at least what people think about it or to see how other people are dealing with different things or to see the successes or the failures on um, what other people are doing because it allows ourselves to grow continuously and adapt just like everybody else.
0: Yes. All right. Well, If you're, again, joining us, uh, we're talking with uh, Joseph Quintana with uh, Red Ink Magazine. And you're listening to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. And this discussion about, again, your um, magazine publication, I think it's great that you guys are still printing um, because I still feel that... There is an audience for that. People want to look at a magazine and read it in right. their hands, especially for our elders. Um, you know, they're, they're not all on the internet. You know, not many of them are. Uh, but right. you know, um, and especially in, in remote places of the reservations um, that still don't even have electricity. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think it's still important that that um, these things are being printed and and when we lose a publication that just goes online it's 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 uh to me it's like oh gosh i really wish we had that in print but i I know it's difficult because of again everything's online so i know there's a transition going on um with ready did you want to talk about that
3: sure um uh, like i mentioned before uh, originally we were started at the university of arizona um and i was the managing editor uh since 2009 for about uh, four to five years. Um, Somewhere in between, after we had just celebrated our 20th anniversary, uh, uh, the University of Arizona decided they wanted to move into a different direction and sever their ties with us, um, which was kind of disheartening because we had been there for 20 years, and we had just gotten a big pat on our back on how well we were performing and doing. Um, And not to mention a lot of the uh, a big reason some of the uh, students there even mentioned why they wanted to come to the to the university was to be a part of the publication. Um, but we had to figure out how to overcome that obstacle. I mean, we had we had uh, gotten to a point where we felt like, um, you know, what would the next 20 years would be like? You know, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary, but rather than thinking that, we, we were thinking about um, how are we going to move all of our stuff out of our offices or where are we going to store 20 years of publications because we actually sell uh, the magazine. Um And it's almost like intellectual property, because like we were saying, we have some of those uh, major influences who who have written in the publication, who have lent their voice. Um, Not only academics, like I was mentioning, uh, Vindaloria or N. Scott Mamaday, um, but also community people. Um, Deborah Whiteplume, who does a lot of uh, community activist work. Um, we know such names as Dennis Banks. John Trudell has been featured in the publication. Writers such as Sherman Alexie. Um, and what do you do with that, and how do you preserve that history and continue to store it? Um, and we could have easily at that time folded and decided, you know, this is something, this is something that we're not going to be able to overcome um, but luckily, we reached out to a number of a number of people, a number of, of supporters, um, who played key roles over the years. And one of those uh, one of those people who has who's been an influence on me, um, positive influence on me, uh, was Simon Ortiz, who's who who's a native writer poet himself, and uh, who's an influence on many young people, especially people who are coming up. Um, He's a faculty at uh, Arizona State University, um, and he had a lot of the backing um, and stability to be able to offer something to the publication. So we decided that it would be best to probably transfer over um, to ASU, and, and Simon Ortiz will go ahead and assume the uh, managing editor position duties soon.
0: Is that going to be like? <laughs> I know there's like a um, a rivalry between U of A and ESU. Was there any? Was, did that ever come up at all? Uh,
3: it, it comes. It's funny because it comes up all the time, um, but if you think about, you got to think past that, especially within the publication and especially mm-hmm. within media, um, because if you start to do that then you place the barriers upon yourself. You make, you create your own walls and your own obstacles to hurdle over. Um, especially if you, say, for instance, you say, well, that's just an academic journal or that's just a publication that's within the academic system. Even then, you're limiting yourself to what the magazine can do mm-hmm. when it can be so much greater than that. Um, so if you say, well, it's just tied to one university and that's how it will be, and – we had a lot of concern from a lot of the past alumni, many of whom who have gone on to do bigger and better things, either for um, their people in leadership roles or working in academia and teaching or something or starting their own businesses across the country. Many of them have gone on to do that. Um, and they had concerns. Why is this happening? And they didn't understand um, why the University of Arizona had decided um to sever their ties with the publication. And so we had to kind of educate them along with it. Um, But at the same time, uh, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of it as rivalry or anything else like that. I thought of it as um, we need to keep the dialogue going and we need to keep the discussions going at all costs. Um, Like I mentioned before, uh, serving in um, underserved communities um, or going in, to educate people about these underserved communities, such as Native populations or Native communities, how do you do that? What happens if you lose one more voice? That's just one more seat at the table that doesn't get heard. Um, so I think we were thinking beyond that, especially the board members, uh, because we I, we do answer to an excellent editorial board who come from many different tribes from around the country, Um and they offer their input, and m- many of them aren't thinking like that. They are thinking long-term, or they're thinking past those same boundaries that would hinder us, I guess.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I I lived in Phoenix, and, and so I know that rivalry is, is very... I don't know. It's very bitter, <laughs> especially with painting uh, <laughs> painting the mountains there. Um, but it's good that you guys were able to to find a place to to move to, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's going to be in great hands um, with Simon. Um, so, what are you planning on doing?
3: Um, as for as for myself, I think uh, you know we've been in discussions with with some of the board members, and we'll probably uh, we're thinking about continuing to do something similar um because things I, I think things are uh, cyclical they are always there's need for constant change and and that's positive that's okay. Um, Red ink will always continue and it will develop and grow um, just as it has over the past 25 years. Um, and at the same time, um, we need to find things that are new and that are different and that are challenging um, and that motivate us that we want to try to get out there because, there's still plenty of work to do. Um, I think if we look at what we've tried to do with the magazine is um, over the last five or six years is that, you know, we've had the great intellectuals or even the community leaders who have asked and posed great questions to us, to the younger generations, I mean. Um, But I think at some point, the younger generations, and I think they're doing that now, is they're starting to take the leadership roles and trying to figure out how to answer those questions, mm-hmm. such as sovereignty issues, such yeah. as the mascot issue. That's That's been a major concern, you know, for 40 to 50 years now, um, such as creating awareness to the types of issues that are going on within our own backyards, such as environmental protection, uh, Water is going to be a key issue. Um, If it isn't already across Indian country, it should be on the minds of most reservation communities um, as far as water rights or access to water. Um, But all across the board, you know, business development, economic development. I think that as Red Ink will probably move on into more of a scholarly journal which will offer an indigenous global perspective I think at the same time, we might create something new Hmm. just to offer a different voice.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Well, And and we're talking with Joseph Quintana, who um, is with Red Ink Magazine, and our future of Red Ink Magazine uh, used to be housed at uh, University of Arizona and is now moving to Arizona State University, um, which is just about two hours north of of that campus. And... um, and Mr. Quintana used to be, uh, well, you're a Haskell alumni as well, so...
1: I
3: am. You, made... <laughs> Onward, Haskell. Yeah. Um, it's I funny think... because um, I'm a proud alumnus of, uh, of Haskell. And everywhere I go, and usually a lot of the different discussions, I always start off with my um, with my time at Haskell, my fondness of the, the university. I think Haskell opened my eyes to a lot of different things, including... Um, Natives generally in higher education and that there were actually, there were actual native writers and scholars who were writing books pertaining to a lot of the issues that I thought about as a young man growing up. Um, and several of those are, you know, are people like Simon um, uh, who lent a voice and was able to um, articulate their emotions and share them with and communicate them with other people. Uh, because prior to that, uh, prior to coming to Haskell, I'd never seen that before. I'd never really read native authors such as uh, Sherman Alexie, um, so it was motivating me. It was it, Haskell played a key role in my development um, growing up, and I and I will um, always encourage, especially young uh, young native students who are uh, entering college, to at least give Haskell a look or a glimpse, and just. Think about the possibilities of what you can do, um, because you can develop as you want to. um, You can grow into anything that you want to over time, as long as you have the initiative and as long as you're able to set goals for yourself. Uh, Growing up, um, I grew up in very, very, we were very poor, um, poverty-stricken. My grandmother was an alumnus of Haskell, class of 55, Um, She had went to boarding schools her whole life, so she was pretty much institutionalized. Um, But she was a major driving force for me as far as not accepting the norm of what's just given to you or not expecting that just because things are bad now that they're always going to be that way or that I don't have a way to impact or change my future. Um, And that's what I tried to do. Uh, My grandfather was opposite. I I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather was the opposite. He didn't go to school until he was in high school. He spoke his native language and didn't learn English until he was a teenager. Um, But even though he hadn't, he still preached an education and learning as much as I could. And I think the overall goal wasn't just that... um, that I would just learn and and go on and get a career. I think it was to learn and develop and continuously develop, but at the same time educate others. Have the ability to share what you're learning uh, with others. Um, And I can see it kind of trickling down, especially now that I'm a little older and I'm in my 30s, and now I get a chance to talk to young people, I get a chance to talk to my nieces or nephews or any of my family members, um, and I and I and I go always go back to Haskell and I think about my time there and the relationships that I built there and the obstacles that I overcame while I was there, um, and you, one of the one of the one of the nice treats for me is being able to look across the field at the people that I went to school with and to see how well they're developing into leaders themselves, whether it be for their nations as even council members or managers or whatever else it is. Um, some have become lawyers, doctors, um, even them just being the heads of their households or serving within their communities in significant roles. You see that Haskell did make a difference in you, see, you know a lot of their lives, and a lot of them speak fondly. It's funny because no matter where I go and I do talk about Haskell, um someone in the crowd will just shake their head and either it's either because they went there or someone they knew went there or a relative went there or something like that. So they share in the connection of what Haskell has been.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um Well, and you are also a poet. So did you wanna did you wanna uh read one of your poems? For us? Sure. All right.
3: Sure. Um, like I mentioned before, when I when I went to Haskell, um, I didn't know about any type of voice, any voice that I could share with others. And plus, I think because I was um, a little bit apprehensive because I, I, I was I was I thought it wasn't what a man should be, um, especially at the time I played sports, and so I just didn't feel comfortable sharing with other people. Even though I wrote poetry, I wrote poetry since I was a young man, probably about 12 years old. Um, but I always kept them in a drawer. I kept them lo- uh, locked or hidden away so I could never share how I felt. Um, but I noticed when I when I got a chance to go to high school, I got a chance to see what other uh, Native writers and artists were doing. Um, it allowed me to start to raise awareness to what I could achieve or what I could do with my writing. Um, of course, that later what was brought in out brought out with red ink because not only was I editor, I got a chance to, you know to work behind the scenes and create layout, and then to actually go through what each piece, how each piece was written, and to work with the writers and stuff like that on them. Um, but it lent a voice to me; it gave me courage to be able to um, express myself. Uh, so I'll go ahead and read from one from um, our twentieth anniversary issue. And this poem is called Hunger. Where are the songs no one dances? Where are all the painted faces? Clay washed away from our bare bodies. We are baptizing ourselves in dirty ashes. Children, our future leaders, consult the new grandfather, television, who has raised them to believe their culture has long since traveled downstream by canoe. And is hated by cowboys and Peter Pan. Breechcloth warriors chase trains on the backs of horses who have lost their balance. Riders going one way, horses the other. The moment is captured by tourists whose, image, whose images are found on postcards for a dollar. Old healers sit without patients who now stand in long lines at IHS clinics. Grumbles are heard all over villages, yet we still take numbers, obediently waiting to heal old wounds. Corn stalks have been replaced by aluminum foil antennas. It gives us a better connection to animals and spirits who are asking for our help. We gather righteously on cold dirt floors, asking each other, spirits and living beings, past the fried spam who refused to take any more baloney.
0: All right. Well, you're listening to uh, Joseph Quintana, who's with Red Ink Magazine, and he is reading one of his uh, poems that he's put in the magazine. Uh, Were you going to read another one?
3: Sure. Um, That poem, actually, the the Hunger poem, started uh, when I was a teenager. I wrote, a couple of stanzas but I didn't finish it I just put it aside I finished it um, when I was uh, my first year as the editor of the publication and decided to submit it and actually uh, got it put in the magazine Um, let me read another one this one's called Wealthy and this is from another uh, Red Ink issue I understand what it means to be poor not to have parents around they were fighting demons or each other but never fighting alongside one another. Their demons pulled them apart starting at home, just like a bear pulling petals from a flower. Our house was no home. The whole world was startled the day my parents went down separate paths. I was different, and I didn't think of it till my teenage years. I didn't have to. My grandparents filled their empty shoes just fine. I used to think, We are all raised by our grandparents. At home, football games, graduations, even at school dances. Stay away from them girls and leave that alcohol alone, they said. They knew how to talk to me. It was their love and approval that I strived for. My my grandparents are leaving. Some of the older generations have already moved on. And the few who remain have grown frail. No longer the physical presence they once were. They still demand and command for a good life led. But I am not yet a man. I am not the caretaker that my grandparents have been for my own family. Well, I guess your footprint isn't there anymore, I think to myself. What happens when they go? I remember I hear them every day. I still hear them talking, scolding, mentoring, laughing. They tell me to be a good man, to teach my kids not to go off the path like my parents did. They are good parents, and I am no longer poor.
0: Very good. Well, this is Joseph Quintana with Bread, Inc. Magazine, and you're listening to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. And, you know, your magazine has brought out a lot of um, issues. And I, I figured since I have you on the phone, I'd ask you about uh, the recent debacle that went on this week uh, with Adam Sandler and the, the native <laughs> actors who walked off the, the shoot. Because I, I ask you that because I, I noticed that your, um, when you guys have the uh, – your celebration on May 7th, you're going to have Ricardo Cate there and, Mm -hmm. or showcasing some of his work. And Ricardo was actually one of the extras who stayed on the set and he's been defending uh, Sandler. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, what what were your thoughts on on what all happened?
3: You know, I I feel like um, it, I don't think it's an issue where it can be resolved with saying, "Okay, every you know, this person's one hundred percent correct, or this person's not." I will say this though: I um, I support them, and if if it's based upon um, the ridicule and the stereotypes that they were facing, and um, I would one hundred percent support that um, because I think that. You know, even in, even in joking, even if we, we consider it to be satire or just bad humor in all, um, that doesn't make it right. The ideas that other people have, not the ideas that non-natives have of us is based on bad stereotypes um, or misconceptions, misrepresentation of who we are, the images that are created by other people, such as the one that Adam Sandler is putting forth. Um, to us, it could be uh, it could be misconstrued as this person's. Um, I think for us to buy into that, and for an actor to go ahead and decide that they want to continue to portray that issue or to portray that stereotype, just lends itself to saying, "Hey, it's okay for you to call me that." It's okay for you to call me a dirty Indian. It's okay for you to believe that all of us either own casinos or are drunks or that we believe that the Washington Redskin symbol is okay. Um, or what about the stereotype of an educated Indian? What does that look like? Why, why don't we portray that in movies or in TV shows? Where is the native lawyer at? Where is the native businessman who is at the head of the table leading the discussions or within media? When do we see that image? Um, and I think, you know, some people may argue too, well, why are we paying so much attention to this issue? Or why are we paying so much attention to the mascot issue? when it doesn't necessarily isn't affecting our tribe or anything like that. They're not talking about my tribe. My people don't look like that. Um, but it hurts us. It hurts us, I think, in the long run. Um, and I think that I guess that's probably where I would end at um, with that. I think every issue, no matter small, whether in our mind, small or big, we have to take a look at. And we should talk about, especially as Native people. Um, and, the you know, if one person disagrees and says, well, I was there and I saw the whole thing and it looked like this, then let's talk about it. And everybody should offer their opinion to what it's to to how the outcome should be, but it should be a native decision. It shouldn't be other people allowing or or making the decision for us. I think.
0: Yep. Yeah. I know. I, I have a you know a, a weird perspective on this um, because I I did actually uh, work on a set of a movie. A long, long time ago, <laughs> I was an extra, uh-huh. and um, you know, it wasn't—it wasn't a documentary. It wasn't trying to be historically accurate, um, and and we came across some of these issues where uh, they were trying to make us look um, unkempt, um, our hair messier than what it should be, and and then right. of course putting this darkening, darker makeup on to make us look dirty, and. You know I knew I needed the money I did it for the money but (laughs) (laughs) it's terrible it's terrible Um, you know I was a college student and um, but I knew as soon as it was over I would never do that again you know and Mm -hmm. I was just like you know it just isn't worth it it isn't worth it and and but you know the movie it, it wasn't that great It wasn't like a blockbuster movie or anything like that, but you know, I made that decision. Um, You know, I'm not going to do that anymore, and I want to be on the other side of media, uh, doing different things.
3: And I think that's where we can, you know, we can commend you um, being able to look at that and look back at that and learn a lesson from it. I think that's what we do as Indian people is we beat ourselves up so much is that we don't want try to change or we don't understand that change happens um, we continuously were developing I still think I'm in my infancy in everything I do including my education I'm constantly trying to read not only what natives are writing but non-natives especially because they're the ones who dictate where things are going sometimes Um, which is bad to say because you would figure that we would have that ability to do that for ourselves but that's not the case but we need to understand that we're in constant development, we're constantly growing. We should be have the ability to make mistakes um and to learn from them and then to be able to change things for the betterment of everyone, especially going forward. I think that sometimes hinders us, especially within being able to raise our voice or lend our voice to issues. Um because we don't want to be put out there. Oftentimes, especially with Indian communities, things get um if you if you misstep, or if you say something um, in poor judgment, or anything like that, you may be you may be ridiculed, or anything like that. And after that, you never want to share your voice again. Rather than understanding, well, it's a continuous cycle. It's something that I must continuously develop my ideas and um, my perspectives. And they, my perspectives may change, and then that's okay because we're constantly growing all the way up until, of course. Um, until we pass on, and even then, I think you know wholeheartedly. I, I believe whatever I take, the knowledge that I have now, I'll take with me, and still deliver it to others. Um, and that's just the way that I believe it. All right. But I think you know are there are there many other issues that we should focus on? Are, does the media pick up um, what happened to the to the youth who who had the? Um, who had beer thrown on them because they didn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or the uh, National Anthem, I'm sorry. Um, does that get talked about, you know, as much as the Adam Sandler? I mean, maybe it's because Adam Sandler has a bigger name. Maybe it's it's come out more. Um, maybe it's because it was Indian children. They got picked up less. I don't know. I don't know if that discussion has really... Um, has really followed through, I guess, with especially with Indians being or Natives being able to lend their voice to it.
0: Definitely, and and yes, that's been an issue that's come up and people talking about that uh, that particular issue. And of course, Ricardo Cate is going to be at an event um, next weekend on the Pine Ridge Reservation uh, with Unity mm-hmm. journalists, and they're doing they're actually doing that summit in Allen, South Dakota, at American Horse school and um he actually got all the supplies um and and they're going to uh teach him how to do cartooning which is totally awesome and um also doing some journalism workshops so he that, that was the one thing he talked about was you know like um why is this getting more issue or more more uh you know, time than what happened to those students at American horse. And yeah, definitely, you know, it is, and we need to, we need to look at that. Well, thank you, uh, Joseph for being on the show and talking about red ink and you can go on Facebook and look them up as well and check out what they're doing for their 25th anniversary. Um, best of luck to you and, and your future endeavors. Thank you So
3: much Rhonda. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I really am excited by the work that you're doing, and I hope that you will continue to offer such dialogue and discussion that's meaningful uh, to everyone, and especially um, continuously building on the acts making it accessible to everyone, especially across the country, and I hope that more people will start to pick up on it. Um, Like I mentioned before, our premiere is May 7th. It's going to be at Oglala Lakota College on the Pine Ridge District up in South Dakota. This is our first um, opportunity to uh, visit uh, the reservation up there. So anybody in in the area, it's going to be free, available to anybody. Please come and celebrate with us. We're going to have a number of writers, um, poets, musicians to come out and speak. One of them is Tanaya Winder. Who's a, who's a wonderful poet who's going to be joining us to uh, lend her work. And then, uh, like you mentioned before, Ricardo Cotney, who's from San Domingo Pueblo, he's an artist himself, he's going to be uh, showcasing one of his paintings up there. Um, so it's going to be a fun evening, uh, just basically a celebration for the 25 years and the history of the, about the magazine, and, and we'll offer more insight to people. We'll have magazines available there, um, and we'll also have artwork to showcase um so thanks again Wanda i appreciate it thank you
0: yeah no problem and uh yeah I'll, I'll repost that uh link on my facebook as well as on twitter if you follow me on twitter or on um on facebook as well you can find links that i'll post for those information stuff so uh, you're listening to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. And I'll just go to a song um, real quick here. I believe I have some Clark Tenhungva, uh queued up for you guys. <laughs> to Native Spirit Radio here on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. And we just had uh, Joseph Quintana, uh, the uh, managing editor of the uh, Red Ink Magazine and their transition. And uh, Simon Ortiz will be the next managing editor of that magazine. It's also moving from the University of Arizona to Arizona State University. It's about two hours north. And so it's going to be interesting. They've been in publication for 20 years a student publication student magazine and it's great to see uh, that type of thing out there still out there we have print media it's really great Um, and I'll share the link to their Facebook page on Twitter and Facebook um, if you want to check them out or you can just look them up yourself it's about my time to be getting out of here and Native Spirit Radio is coming up or Native Spirit Radio Uh, (laughs) Sunset Reggae is coming up next for you um and make sure you stay tuned for that. And I will see you again next weekend. And this weekend, coming up, I believe May 1st, is the era powwow at Johnson County Community College. So make sure you go check it out and see what they're up to. All right. Well, I'll see you guys again next weekend. I'll be leaving you off with some Northern Cree. And this is Slickster.